Okay, so I want to introduce Nicola. Um, what I'm doing over the next coming weeks is I'm interviewing several ladies um, that have been through um, domestic violence or trauma of some kind. And today we've got Nicola um, and I'm going to um, let her introduce herself in a moment. But I'm doing this with the ladies because I just think it's so important that we raise awareness of um, domestic violence. And October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And I think the more ladies that come forward and talk about their experiences and how they got through it and survived, um, I think, you know, it, it, we can get it out there and, and help other ladies that maybe are still living in fear and, um, you know, still with abusive partners. So, Nicola, um, hi, hi, thank you so, so much for coming and wanting to share your story to just help other women that may have been through trauma um, and domestic violence. So, yeah, if you want to introduce yourself. Well, I'm Nicola. Um... I'm a creative, so that's what you know, I do a lot of kind of creative stuff for my um, business. But I'm also um, a reenactor and I was a biker at one point, <clears throat> which is where things started to go downhill. Mm. <laughs> um, I was coming out of a marriage. This is the thing it's often when you're very vulnerable, these people spot you and they pick on you or they kind of see you as prey. So I was coming out of a marriage um, and it, I mean, it was a bit, it was, it was, it was okay. He was a nice enough guy. Um, although when he discovered I was seeing somebody else, there were some threats of violence. So I kind of walked out, out of my uh, flat with just my keys and the clothes I was wearing and went straight to the police. And then they took me back home, but he was never physically violent to me. So, of course, I was very vulnerable at that point anyway. And I thought, OK, I want to um, try something different, try, you know, something a bit more exciting and, you know, just make a new life for myself. And I, I got involved um, with a bikers club because I always wanted to ride a motorbike. And I kind of saw this club. And I, I went to a party with this particular group. And I met this chap there and I saw, oh, he, he looks nice, you know, <laughs> all this. Sort of I won't go into details, but, you know, he kind of yeah, yeah. did it for me, as it were. And yeah. um, then went away from that party and didn't think anything of it. And six months later, I, I saw there was an advert for another party by this group. So I went along and this guy was at the door and I thought, well, I remember him. He was really nice. Well, <laughs> and um he sort of smiled at me and when we went, because he was running the whole thing. So he was managing everything and he was going around talking to people and he was chatting and all seemed very friendly and everything. And I thought, well, was, so, it a, was it a biker gathering then, Nicola? What it was, it was like a party, and, yeah. Okay. But it was in a pub, so it was kind of open, you know. Right, okay. And, um, it was kind of like, he kept coming back to me during the evening. I thought, oh, this is, oh, this is interesting. I'm in here, you know. <laughs> um, but I was sort of, me as well but I didn't fancy him as you know as much as this other this, this guy that I really liked and then later on that evening he kissed me and the world just you know this Hollywood moment where they're all starstruck and they spin around and it's all hunky-dory there's nobody it was like that you know I got my Hollywood moment um 
And then from then onwards, we were kind of, as somebody once described us, joined at the hip for quite a while. We were kind of going, but it was all very, and this is what happens when this sort of relationship with these type of people, and I'll go into that a bit later, starts. They gaslight you and they, well, they bought a love bomb you really, you know, kind of all over you and they send you presents and it's all very kind of um, overpowering and overwhelming and they kind of overwhelm your defences. So for quite a while we were going out places and on our bikes, because we both had bikes or on the back of his, you know, and we were really kind of going to all sorts of places. And then I'm trying to paraphrase because it, obviously it's quite a long story because it was 10 years. And gradually, because he was living with an, an ex-girlfriend, um, there was nothing going on. They were just friends. But um, And then things started to stay in my place, you know. <laughs> and we never had the moving in conversation. And all of a sudden he was there in my flat and he was doing things like combining our tape on CD collection because it was tapes and CDs at that point and um sorry that's just a text that's come through all right um and there was something off about it but I didn't know quite what was off about it and it made me feel very uncomfortable I didn't know what to say about it you know and then he started taking all my photos out of my album to make a photograph library and I thought well whilst that was a good idea but this is before online stock library so we're kind of talking before the the major uh, front of the internet the yeah. early days of the internet so in principle it's a good idea but he didn't ask me so there's all these little things I was thinking what's this about and then I, he liked to drink now I'd never encountered an alcoholic before I came from a family that did social drinking not kind of alcoholic drinking so for me it was a bit like what's this all about he if I didn't get him out of the pub after one point that was it he was there in the whole you know whole evening or the whole period of when we you know and the first time, <laughs> this how stupid I was, you know, how sucked into this. The first time that he came home roaring drunk, he collapsed on the bathroom floor. And I sat next to him thinking, you know, I've got to make sure he's okay in case he chucks up and, you know, kills himself, you know, because of the, you know, the vomit or whatever. And this was the first of many instances where there was one time he threw up on the bathroom bedroom floor. And literally at that point, there was no carpet, thank God. It was just the old lino before I had a new carpet put down. And it was just like, it, and he would lie there with, in his hair. It was disgusting. Oh. And this was, that was toward the end. But anyway, we digress. <laughs> um, so, and then it was the manipulation started. He claimed to be allergic to garlic. So, I mean, I loved garlic. And eventually I, I had to stop eating garlic. In any of the foods, and the food, my food became very, very dull. Because if you had tried um, to get pre-packaged meals that had no garlic in, you can't. There's garlic powder in yeah. almost everything. Um, I stopped cooking kind of main stuff because it, he he didn't like. There's only certain things he liked, and it was all very narrowing down. And my and even when we went out for we went out for meals to a Greek restaurant and other restaurants, but it was always, has that got garlic in it? Has that, I can't eat, I'm allergic to garlic, blah, blah, blah. God, it was so embarrassing. And it was always the same restaurants. Okay, there was a particular Indian we went to, there was a particular Greek we went to. Um, so over that period, it, it, at first it was very, very, you know, lovely. You know, I'm talking about a couple of years now, but it then got into more manipulation and more 
psychological manipulation, what they call you know, the coercive act and all that sort of stuff. It was like, you didn't know what mood he was going to be in when he came home from the pub. Was he going to be laughing drunk? Was he going to be maudlin drunk? Was he going to be violent drunk? And um, there were times when I saw him be, be quite violent to people. At one point, he, someone cut him up, cut us up. We were coming back from somewhere. And he pulled this guy out by the throat from the car and he, he punched him, you know. And I thought, oh my God, and people say, why didn't you leave? This is the thing people always say, what? Because you're bloody terrified, that's why. Because you think yeah. it's gonna, this is the way the perceived violence is done. It's done to make you feel, you know, it could be you next. Um, there was only one time he ever did hit me. I do think that was an accident. Um, we were, um, he was demonstrating something to somebody, you know, you know, you know, you do this and he went back like that and I happened to be behind him and it clumped me on the jaw and I was crying, oh, he hit me. And the people we were with was going, are you all right? And they asked me subtly outside the conversation, did he, you know, did he really hit you? I said, I don't think, you know, I don't think it was deliberate. Um, they were, I think they must've been quite concerned. But then, I mean, over those years, it got worse and worse. The drinking, he, he supposedly gave up, but then he started again. He, he supposedly went to Al-Anon. Um, and then he, he, get this, he came out. Oh, they moved the meeting. I couldn't find it. And what a load of rubbish. <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm paraphrasing quite a lot because there's a lot that I could go into more if you wanted. Um, but eventually it got to, after about five years, I thought, I, I can't take this. Uh, but I, I was scared to leave. I was actually scared to leave the relationship because of his reaction. So I kind of carried on with it and it got worse and worse. Um, he, he stopped working because he suddenly realized, because I'm a designer, at that point I was earning quite a lot of money per week. He suddenly realized that this was a cash cow. I was a cash cow basically. So he stopped working. He, he started to do digital stuff. This was in the early days of digital. And we were working on this project for um, what we hoped would be a client. A, it was gonna be a digital postcard. So I paid for it to be printed and he was supposed to be doing all the mechanics of it. And because he was so useless, he, I, would, I don't want to swear, but he messed it up. You can imagine what word I want to use. Yeah. And yeah. when it came back, it didn't work. And I sat in the car and I cried, or minibus, I should say, we had a minibus. I sat in the, because it was just like 1,200 pound down the pan because he was just sucking me dry. And I was paying the rent, I was paying the um, bills, I was keeping him, and then he was supposed to be getting a job. And for four years, he sat on his backside and did a ball, really, yeah. if I'm allowed to say that. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, lovely. Wow. <laughs> and then there was one particular time he was um, he was uh, he was a dispatch rider at one point, well, several times, but he was a very erratic back, back uh, bus dispatch rider and sometimes the bike would fail and one time it, it failed at the m25 so he rang me so i'm i'm having to push the bike from the m25 now get this me being the loving supporting partner that i am had a bath running for him i kept it running for all that time it took him to push it back from the m25 i kept it but water boiling on the kitchen you know the cooker poured it in the steam coming off it and then when he walked in the door 
literally steam coming off him. I'm too hot for a bath, FF bath. You should bloody realise that. You know, all this and stuff, really quite fun. And then there was another time where we had some altercation, which I don't know what it was. Um, and he threw a cup of tea at me. And there was this tea stain across the ceiling. And my friends would say to me, Nicola, why have you got a tea stain on the ceiling? I said, well, you ask him. But they never did. And <laughs> there was another time, this, this was in the early days of the relationship. As I said, we used to ride bikes. And we had been due to go away for a weekend. And the idea was that I would go to where we were going and he would come later. So at this, I drove to where we were going. I was talking to my friends, having a nice time, et cetera, you know, going away for the weekend, et cetera. And then I get a call from, and this was at the, the actual hall. This was before mobile phones. Yeah. And I lost my, he was always losing his bloody keys. I've lost my keys. I can't find my bike keys. I went ballistic. <laughs> I, uh, you know, when you can, you get angry, you go hot. I went cold. <laughs> I went past the hot bit to the cold bit. I was marching up and down this place in my bike gear. Can I swear? Yes. <laughs> fucking bastard. He's lost his fucking keys again. And stomp, 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 stomp. I'm not going to bloody give him a lift. Anyway. I was so angry, the people I was with wouldn't let me ride for at least half an hour till I'd calmed down enough to be able to ride safely. And I was still riding down the motorway going, fucking bastard, fucking bastard. <laughs> um, so anyway, that was in the beginning, but uh, toward the kind of middle of the relationship, it got worse it, and it got worse. Um, and I, I'm keeping it fairly neutral because it's quite obviously difficult to go into really. Yeah. And I don't want to give too much detail away because I'm obviously trying to be careful. Um, and then I realised things were getting really quite unpleasant. I thought, I've really got to end this. I really, I don't... I, I, when it was, I said, well, OK, I shall tell him this bank holiday weekend, I shall tell him on Saturday that I'm... I want a trial separation. And this time I didn't realize what he was. I want a trial separation. And it came to a head because I was in Sainsbury's at one night and I thought, I don't know what to get for dinner anymore. And I don't know, I'm fed up with, I can't think of any more meals that haven't got garlic in that I can do that he'll eat. And I sat in the fridges, literally from a bum in the fridges in Sainsbury's crying. Thinking, I can't do this anymore. I really can't do this. I've had enough. This is too much. This is close on 10 years by this point. And I decided, okay, I have to tell him that I want a trial separation. So that was my plan. This didn't quite happen in the way that I'd planned it because on a Thursday night, he said to me, and he got really quite disgusting by this point, and his hair was all lanky and his teeth were, he used to bite open bottles of beer with his teeth. So the teeth had gone all rank as well, worse than they were, you know. And he said, you won't kiss me anymore. Why? I'm thinking, why the fuck do you think? Because you bloody, your breath stinks. You look disgusting. You put on weight. You're not looking after yourself. You've been a lazy sod. And so I said, <laughs> through very much, I'm brushing my teeth at this point. So I've got foam all around my mouth. And I said, because I want a bloody trial separation. And the look on his face was like, oh, my God. Um, 
so and it's then, your flat so how how did you get him to leave then how did that happen the story, now, the story doesn't end here um so I thought right I get him a trial separation so he wouldn't go he hung around for a month now most of us ladies would know that once you decide you don't want to be with somebody anymore sexually well, and we can get onto that later but remind me about that aspect of it um you don't want them to touch you it feels you know and he started to pour at me so you know you, you, you know you wander around in a you know, nutty don't you or in your bra and knickers but this and it, it, and then he would stop and I'd say, oh God, I had to then go cover myself up and all this sort of thing. And then the story was, okay, the story was that he, this particular friend we've got lives on the South Coast, I'm not going to say where. But the story that he told me was that he was going to go and stay with her for a week and help her look after her boy. And he would look for a job in this particular area. I thought, this is sounding good. This sounds good. I get rid of him for a week <laughs> and I can eat garlic. Fantastic. So I said, yeah, okay, this sounds good. So I'm off on having a week where I can eat what I like and do what I like. And on Wednesday evening, I'd gone off to archery, which was I was, I was doing archery at the time. And I came out of archery with all my bows and arrows, you know, bows and arrows and whatever, sort of hanging off me. I'm trying to kind of deal with them all while, while waiting for a bus. And I get this call from him saying, you're a fucking bitch. You've told the agency that I'm an alcoholic. Blah, blah, they won't give me any... What a... What a... Oh, because... Why would I have told them that? Because I want to get rid of you. <laughs> what a load of rubbish. So, I got on the bus, got home, and then I managed to get to sleep. And then a little while later, I got a call from the friend saying, he's out on the drive, Everything on Bologna, he's saying he's going to fucking kill you. He's going to kill somebody. And she'd locked herself in the bathroom. She was terrified. Um, and I thought, oh, my God, this is awful. This is, I've got to do something about this. And this, this is it. This was crux. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, I'd been trying to do this for ages, and I knew I had to do something here. This was like make or break. But I, I knew in my head that I had to do it, but I hadn't got the courage. I had to kind of really dig deep. I was going around the flat. Bear in mind, this is like, what was this, about three o'clock in the morning now, opening up all the doors of the cupboards and thinking, right, okay, have I got the courage to kind of make that decision, take his stuff out and start piling it up? And I tell you, I had to dig deep. Um, then I did, I went, opened the cupboard and I pulled the stuff out. And as I pulled the stuff out, I could feel this, we might say it was a gremlin, or you might say it was a your inner child, or your. I felt this little creature on my shoulder going, Yes, she's finally done it. Hurrah! She's done it at last. And once I started, I couldn't stop. I went around the whole place, finding everything I could of his, piling it on a pile. And then, of course, I was kind of a bit, bit hyper. And I rang a friend who happened to work at a, I knew he was working night shift. And I told him, He said, Well, you need to speak to the police. So I spoke to the police, and they were useless absolutely useless can i just ask you about that yes. Um, yes. you know i'm interested when you say the police were useless what what were their response because i had a similar response to police so i'm ju i'm just really interested in how they dealt with that bear in mind this was what 
close on 15 to 20, no, 15 to 16 years ago now. So yeah. things have changed. So this yeah. is my experience at the time. Yeah. So I rang them up. I said, you know, my partner is giving, issuing death threats. He's really verbally violent and he's all sorts of stuff, you know. And he said, well, because he's got right of entry to the, you know, because he lives, lives with you, he's got right of entry to his home. I'm thinking, it's my flat. He's just issued death threats and you're telling me that he can come into my flat. Okay. okay. Um, so that really kind of was really pissed me off, as you can imagine. And obviously I was very scared as well. And because having made that decision, you then think, what are you going to do? Is he going to come after me? Is he going to do God knows what to me? If he's threatening, issuing death threats, is he going to try and kill me? Because um, he, like I said, he'd only ever been, he'd never been physically, he'd never physically hit me except for that one time, which I, which I still think is, was an accident. Or I do think it was an accident. Or if he knew I was there, he did it. So it looked like an accident. Um, so where was I? Oh, yes, um, the police. So then I, I rang, I, I happened to find a solicitor and I rang, made an appointment and went to see him. Yeah. And I think he must have dealt with DV cases before because he was very good. And he said, right, OK, we've got two options here. He said, right, first of all, we write him a letter to tell him to piss off. You've got two days, give him two days to, to leave the flat. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, we then have to get an injunction. I thought, oh, please, please let it work because I haven't got the five or 700 quid or whatever it was to get an injunction. So we planned this like a military operation. And that's what I want to talk about later as well. Um, so can you remind me of these points when I can, uh, I can yeah. come back? Yeah. Um, so bear in mind, this is Wednesday night, Wednesday night to Thursday morning. Okay. I, <laughs> I, was it Wednesday? No. Yeah, it was Wednesday night, it was archery. So this is now Thursday morning. Right, kind of 10, 11 o'clock. So he planned this operation. So he wrote a letter, first class, and he put it in the post that day to get there the, the next day. And we knew what time my ex was coming back roughly from wherever he'd gone. And this letter was to arrive telling him that he got two days to leave. Otherwise, we were going to take legal action. Yeah. And the, the solicitor advised I go and stay with my parents, which I did. And then I tried to get some male friends to come with me on the Sunday to get back into the flat. Would they come? No, not a single man stepped up to the plate. I ended up going with a girlfriend, or then girlfriend, we're not friends now, but at the time she was a friend. And the two of us, we walked up to the flat door and we were both, can I say shitting myself? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We were both shitting ourselves. I've never been so terrified. And I put the key in the door, turned the key, and then pushed the door open, and there was music playing. I thought, fuck, we've got a fight on our hands. And that was really scary. But I walked into the flat, looked around, went round, but he had gone. He had gone. But the place was a tip. He had basically more or less, I wouldn't say trashed it, but it was in a bit of a state. There was half-eaten food everywhere. The heating was on. The music was on full blast. There was piles of stuff everywhere. Um, first thing she did was um, call the locksmith. We changed the locks. And then we went around with bin bags, picking everything and putting it into bin bags and stuff like that. The initial first sweep. But I was numb. I, I felt 
kind of empty. I suppose because I'd had all this violence, you know, perceived violence and threat hanging over me. And then there was the relief that he'd gone, but then what now, you know? Um, so anyway, she made me a cup of tea and I'm kind of, I sat there being a bit numb and then we kind of started talking and whatever. And then I kind of got into the getting on with my, my new life, you know, partner free. What, what was the start of that? When you say getting into my new life, what did you, what was the first thing that you did? Cause I remember specifically what my, my first thing that I did was journal and start journaling, which helped me on my, it, it was one of the processes I used. Well, I, at this particular point, I didn't do anything like that because things were still normal. To me, that was still a normal breakup, okay, even though I'd had to get a solicitor. Yeah. And I will go, it's where it gets really kind of confusing now, but I do have a very strong memory, and I deliberately made this memory at yeah. the time, thinking, right, okay, I, I can remember coming from where I worked down to the main road, wherever it was I worked, and thinking... This is the first day of my new life. And I made a conscious decision to remember that. I can't remember all the details now, but I remember me- remember remembering it, making myself remember it. This is the start of my new life. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I was doing the getting over the, the boyfriend business, and this was for about a month, and I would be going through, I'd be clearing stuff up, and I'd find stuff, including the most horrific porn on my computer in every single bloody file I could, I had to go through the computer files, bear in mind I had a PC at the time, so every single folder I could find I had to go through them and delete porn, not kiddie porn, I hasten to add, but nasty porn, Yeah. Um, the rough stuff, which was pretty unpleasant, and various other just bits of like old dressing out. <laughs> I got a new bed from I was in the archery club as I said and I got some pe- um, people from the archery club who gave me a, a new double bed but which of course that meant getting rid of the old double bed because um, I didn't want to sleep on that anymore apart from the fact that um, he was just, oh, just he was gross by this point he was really kind of gross and I just I couldn't face sleeping in it so <laughs> I said to them so we're bringing the bed round tonight I said great I said bring an axe <laughs> <laughs> and they, they they turned up with two hammers. I said, "Where's the axe?" He said, "We thought it was better not to bring the axe." Oh, okay, and I smashed the bed to pieces with the with the hammers. And I and that I said, "Do you feel better now?" I said, "Yes, I do. <laughs> Thank you." <laughs> so that that helped. I must say that yeah, smashing things to pieces did help. Um, yeah, but that's the, it's your emotion, isn't it? That and it, and it's that relief, I guess, of you know not being there. But it's the final thing, isn't it? Um, no, but it's no. And this still carries on. This story is still oh. going on, Amanda. So, as I said, I was doing the getting over the boyfriend business, you know, starting to kind of go out again and all this sort of thing. But I wasn't drinking because he was an alcoholic. He would drink drive, and he would drink drive without insurance and without tax. And I got to the stage where I couldn't bear this anymore, and I. I had to remain sober in case, you know, because I, mean, I couldn't go out with him anymore. You know, we just had to stop. I stopped going out because, and I, and I stopped drinking. I, I barely drink now. Not 
deliberately because it's a habit now that I barely drink you know I don't need it and I don't yeah. want it either because it's it's too it reminds me too much of him but anyway so where was I um oh yes getting to the getting over the boyfriend so I'd find all these odds and sods and then this is where things went really pear-shaped about a month after we broke up his ex-girlfriend that he'd been you know the one that he stayed with before he met me he, she rang me up because we used to be friends and not f- close friends, but we'd go away on holiday together and stuff. And occasionally we'd go over to her flat and whatever. Yeah. Um, she was a bit childish. She's very kind of innocent, childlike, very silly, kind of frippy, kind of. <laughs> but anyway, that's beside the point. When she rang me up and she said, Have you seen him recently? And I went, No. Why would I have seen him? Because I'd broken up with him and I threw him out. She said, Well, because she, she had this cottage in Wales and she had basically said, I've let, let him use the cottage and the cleaner's gone round and there's nobody there and the front door's open and all the windows are open. I said, no, I haven't seen him. She said, this is where things came apart for me. Um, she said, I was so sorry to see how, what he looked like. He'd put on so much weight. He looked just like his mother. I said, his mother's dead. Oh, no, she's not. She lives in Wales. Yeah, you can close the drawer, Amanda. Yeah, Amanda's got her, Amanda had her own mouth open there. I certainly the... did. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and then um, I went, "What?" And she said, "I said, what about?" We obviously had a long discussion about this. And what about the father? Well, the father was. I was at the funeral, so I know that he definitely died. Okay, well that's fine. Um, about the brother, oh, the brother that was supposedly killed in Ireland, shot in Ireland. Turned out to be two live brothers still in Wales. So everything that he ever told me was a lie. I was on my knees, metaphorically. I was destroyed almost. Um, it took the carpet, you know, ripped the carpet out from under everything I had yeah. been told, everything I believed. I was in pieces. I was hysterical almost. Didn't know who I was. I rang up the doctor in kind of bawling my eyes out you know, um, told him, because he's a doctor I'd known since I was a child. Um, so he kind of tried to sort of talk me down. And I managed to get some six sessions of counselling from a psychotherapist. And it was through this psychotherapist I found out what he was. And she said to me, did he do or did he say this, 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 this? And I'm going, yes, yes, no, maybe yes, 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 yes. He's a psychopath, she said. And I went, what? She said, yeah, he's a psychopath. So... This actually enabled me to, it validated what my experience was. Until, my, until I'd had this comment, I didn't know what I was experiencing. And if anybody else is experiencing all this weird behaviour, the gaslighting, the love bombing, the, the mood swings, the being charming, the manipulation, it's obviously I'm not a medical person, but it's very likely that you're dating a sociopath or a psychopath. And or a narcissist. Or a narcissist. Get out now. Get out now while yeah. you still can. So anyway, she told Because then I had to re-kind of think everything all over again. Um, for... A long while, I didn't socialise with anybody I didn't know at all. I found it very difficult to trust anybody. So I would, and I didn't drink, and it took me years to drink with somebody I didn't know. Um, 
And what I thought, what I thought to myself, because you know, you're asking about how people got through this. So I thought to myself, he is not going to break me. I'm not going to go on the alcohol again because in a previous relationship I had gone a bit kind of because I'd, I'd I was going through a marriage breakup, as I said, and I'd previously lost at that time. At the same time, I lost an ex-boyfriend who'd hung himself, so I was a little bit on off the rails. But I thought I am not going to drink through this. I went through this whole experience totally so sober, deliberately totally sober. Yeah, and. And I'll also say, if anybody is out there and is going through something, please, please don't drink if you can get away with it. Because these people, and I talk about this in my book, they are, uh, you're now in a situation where you're in a battle situation, where you are fighting a, game, a battle game, where you're trying to survive and you're, you're fighting against a master manipulator and you need your wits about you. So if you can get out, get away with not drinking, please, please don't drink. It means you, you're more aware and you're more able to cope with their shit that they, they throw at you. Anyway. I think, I think you're right as well, because you're, you've not, um, you're not in the right mindset to deal with something like that. If you're out, no, if you're no. drinking, you're coming from, you know, it's a depressant anyway as well, mm -hmm. which doesn't, you know, it's not going to make you feel any better. It's just going to make you feel worse in the first instance. Yeah. But secondly, like you say, you need a clear head. You know, you, yeah. you've got, got to deal with somebody who is like that. We need a clear head, don't we? We need our wits around us. Exactly, exactly. Um, or if you are going to drink, make sure it's just one drink or with a friend and don't let them get you tipsy, you know, because you need a clear head. You need to yeah so anyway so, so we've got nicola we've got 10 more minutes it's just oh my god, uh, too much. yeah oh my god. 10 more minutes it's just because i've got um i've got another appointment at seven but i would love to okay. talk some more as well because there is more yes still well, desperate I, would, from him. I would i would love to speak more definitely um but okay. i would really like to really hear now for this last 10 minutes yes how you conquered and, 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 you know, and how you started regaining your confidence. Well, I started doing um, investigation. I did sort of self-development. I thought to myself, why have I attracted this person? What is it that I've done or what is it about me that I've attracted? So I was very vulnerable, as you know, and I started to look at self-development. Then I kind of moved from there into um, the role. You know, that was a book called The, the Complete Guide to Dating, Mr. Finding Mr. Right or something. So I was reading that and I thought, mm, OK. And then I started moving into spirituality. And I started on a spiritual path. I was kind of, I know this sounds weird, but I was guided. Um, and I could feel it in my body. If I, if I was on a book that I needed to read, I could feel a shiver going down my back. And I don't think that is weird, can I just say? Because I, I think we are guided. You know, it, whatever happens to us, um, you know, happens for a reason. Yeah. So anyway, I was guided onto the spiritual path. And then through that, I kind of started thinking, okay, what can I do to get over being kind of shy or whatever and doing these you know things I really want to do so I set myself mini goals like okay I wanted to fly um, and I ended up flying a um, tiger moth in the end and I won that through a, a a raffle which we can go into another time and I thought I want to do x so I went off and did it I thought I want to do y so I went off and did it Amazing. I do so many different things now people say Nicola you're doing always so busy you're doing so much um it's because I thought 
this is a chance. This is an opportunity. It may not feel like it. It's a door opening, even if it feels like shit. It's a door opening to a new you. Not many people get a second chance to be the person they want to be or to try and be, you know, try and make themselves the person they want to be. This is your opportunity. You can rebuild yourself in your the image that you want to be. Mm. Um, you know, I've stood up and talked in front of people, you know. I've invigilated exams with 200 children in them. I wouldn't have done that before this it was terrifying you know I'm still you know still terrifying but I still do how it do you, so so when you talk about things like that it's terrifying what did you do to overcome that fear because that is the thing isn't it if you can start to be able to overcome any fears when you've been in an abusive relationship you know gaining that confidence and getting out there and being able to step into that fear know it's an emotion but get through it what what helped you to do that I think the fact I'm thinking he is not going to take this away from me. He is not going to destroy me. I'm not going to let him destroy me. He may have brought me to my knees, but I am fighting back. How you know you have to. I know, and it's really, really hard. You have to dig deep, deep, deep into the real core of you and think, fuck it, he or she, because it can be female psychopaths yeah, as well. Absolutely. And even if it's female on female or male on female or male or female on male, um, so. Whilst this is for women, I do talk about it as being pertinent to men as well. You have to dig to the deepest part of yourself that you may not have gone to before and find that core of you that you know is in there that you haven't let out before and go, okay, I won't say necessarily I love you because I haven't quite got to that stage really, but you have to think, okay, I'm doing this for you. And I'm not going to let this person destroy me. Why? Like, you know, I was horrendously in debt. We can talk about the debt another time. Um, he encouraged me to get horrendously into debt. And then I had Bailey's knocking at the door and all this sort of stuff. And I'm going to go into that more detail. Why should I go bankrupt because of this fucking wanker? Yeah. Sorry. You know, bastard. And there's more. Have we got time to <laughs> <laughs> we've, got, we've got eight minutes i re i would like so you you you're stepping into your fear you're conquering yes. this tell the ladies what you did what helped that let's give some ladies out there that need some advice on how to get over these you know that still when you plan your escape when you plan your escape i would say this now this is maybe not getting over the fear this is okay you want to escape when you plan your escape, do not tell anyone, not anyone, not even your best friend, not your children, not anyone. So you take your advice, but then you plan it like a military campaign. You do not tell anybody what you're doing because they can triangulate and they can um, they pay one person off another. So if you happen to let slip to your children that you're we're going away for the seaside, you know, the seaside. Don't give them any leeway. As I said before, you are now in a battle campaign and you, you've got to make sure that you're the winner. But what and did you do? What techniques, Nicola, do you use for you to help you? There's a, there is a very good one, okay? This is, this is, um, there's, a, there's a site that I called lovefraud.com. Love this for all. Lovefraud.com. So how are you spelling that? Spell that for L-O-V-E-F-R-A-U-D.com. Run by, set up by a lady called Donna Anderson. Oh, love fraud. 
fraud, yes. Oh, okay, sorry. Either of psychopaths and narcissists and that sort of thing. You you might find the odd psychopath on there because they do hunt it, but it's a, an anonymous site. It was set up by a lady called Donna Anderson, and survivors tell their stories, and you start to see a pattern. So that was quite good because it validated my experience because people who don't know these, haven't experienced it, don't understand it, how weird it is. Um, so I try for something like that. And I just thought he's not going to fucking get away with it. I'm going to, you know, yes, I'm on my knees, but he's just not going to get away with it. I mean, you know, um, and the, what I would also say is that those sort of people target people who are empaths. So it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It in fact means you're a good person and they see something in you that they don't have and they want it. And they, they're basically vampires. They're, they, they're psychic vampires. They suck it all from you. And they, they, they take what they can from you because they haven't got it. So whilst it is a nasty thing and it is bad, in fact, it's actually a positive because it shows you're a good person. Empaths. Yeah. And I'm an empath as well, Nicola. And, you, and you're so right. You know, they do spot us a mile away, unfortunately. They do, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, and 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 it's not a bad thing being an empath. It's just no. knowing um, when somebody like that comes on your radar, how to spot them. I think, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what my book is about. It's got the it's got tips on how to spot them from from my point of view. That you know, experience. Yeah, and I, and I think it's a lot. As you know, for me, was a lot of um, self healing, self love. Yes, I've done a lot of the spiritual stuff, and I'm still working on that. I've had EFT. I'm, I've got um, homeopathic remedies now working with a homeopath I still what have chronic sleep issues self-love well I've just I actually had a pedicure today which I haven't had okay. in quite a number of years I'm not very keen on pedicures but it was something that I hadn't you know that I needed and it was you know something that I felt I had to have really for me I happened to walk I, past the shop you know for me I think self-love is a whole loads of things in your life yes. you have to change and it was many many things for me it wasn't just doing the nice things you know having you know having your hair done or looking no, no. pretty or yeah. having a it was more the inner work there was a lot yes. of inner, it, work. inner work is very important because you attract it but I'm not saying there's people things wrong with people but there is a reason why these people are attracted to you because as I said they you know this, you've got something they haven't but there's also a vulnerability that like I was very vulnerable and also very shy and I would sort of say compliant to a certain extent. Yeah. And you become, after you've survived something like this, you become, if you let it, there's an opportunity to become the more authentic you, the more you that you could or should be. That is so true. That is so true. I'm going to end it there because we've literally got two minutes um oh, so much more I can tell you <laughs> I can't wait to I can't wait Nicola to speak with you again it's been lovely to hear your story you. it we would have carried it on if I hadn't have got another appointment at um seven o'clock but well, I've got one in, I've got one as well at seven o'clock so there oh, we go. okay <laughs> so I would love to speak to you again it's been oh, yeah, an honor definitely an absolute honor to be able to speak with you tonight and to share our stories and to just help other women that are going through this. I would just say if there's anybody out there um, that is, you know, first of all, call 999. Yes. yes. If, if, if you're in happens. any danger, call 999. Yes. If you have to walk out um, 
make sure you're safe. Anything else can wait, make sure you're safe. And there is life after this, whatever domestic violence situation it might happen to be, there is life after this. That's what I'd say is a positive. However scared you are now, there is life after it, and yes. you can rebuild your so life. There is life, there is. And, you know, let's, let's put all these women and, you know, put them in a place of where they're meant to be and, you know, and free from danger and yes, yes. and um living in fear because it's uh, not I've lived in fear and I still I, I still now or until they put the security door on the on the flats I used to check the stairs every night because I was worried he was going to be then hitting me on the head with something yeah it's traumatic yeah, when you've been through something so traumatic it stays with you for a long long time and you just don't realize but yeah, with our stories, um, <laughs> like your story tonight, Nicola, you know, let's hope we can help other women. Thank you. Yes, ever that's so my goal. Tonight. That's all right. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.